WATD presents The People's Truth, a show dedicated to bringing communities together and keeping the truth alive. Join us each week as we shine the light of justice on topics, people, and local businesses that highlight the real people's truth. Here is your host, Benny Rabbi. Why, yes, indeed he do. It is Monday night. It is 9 p.m. It is time for the People's Truth here on 95.9 FM WATD. Welcome, welcome, one and all. And what a show we have lined up for you tonight, folks. Well into our second month here, and we're uh, still on the air thanks to the old troll of rock and roll, Ed Perry, keeping us afloat here on the flagship. And just so many great things happening, folks. We have so many great guests joining us. I would like to introduce very quickly to the show our co-host for the night, Jay Crombie. Welcome to the show, sir. Ben, hey, how's it going? It is going very well. Thank you for joining us tonight for a, a very special episode of The People's Truth. And uh, you're uh, one of our first real co-hosts here, so I appreciate you making that ground tonight. I'm really glad to be here, Ben. Uh, this is a really big honor getting to broadcast on 95.9 WADD with you. I've been listening to the show uh, since day one, and I've been a big fan. So I'm glad to be here, blah, blah, blah. glad to contribute <laughs> in any way that I can. Always a pleasure to have the original <laughs> Coco Crombie, as we called him back in the day, folks. Yes! And you to waste no further time, by the way, we are joined tonight by an absolute legend of the media broadcast world. She has pioneered her own path through all of life's ups and downs, and I'm going to give another astounding ovation. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Donna Halper. Welcome so much, Dr. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We are not worthy. Of you. We are not worthy. That is correct. Donna, welcome so much. And uh, we just are so excited uh, to talk to you. Now, I got a question I'll bet you you never get asked. Shoot. You ready? Nope. Your last name. Mm-hmm. Rabbi. That is correct. Are you? I am not. But I am of the tribe. But I got to tell you, did you know? <laughs> that in the 1920s, there was a radio rabbi. Ooh, there was. Did you know that? I did not. I'm learning this for the first time. Jay, did you know this? I did not, but I believe that his spirit has been passed on to you. Ooh, maybe. Like a reincarnation kind of deal. Doctor, now, please once, tell us once more. Once upon a pond in a kingdom far away, uh, <laughs> oh Boston was going through the same kind of prejudice that a lot of parts of the country were going through. And a rabbi from Temple Israel in Boston, which was the big temple back then. It's still around. It's still pretty huge. Um, not in terms of size, but in terms of influence and members. Everybody who was anybody in the Boston Jewish community belonged to Temple Israel. And their rabbi, Rabbi Harry Levy, got the idea that maybe what the world needed was a rabbi on the radio. Now, there had been ministers, tons of them, and there'd even been some priests, tons of them, but there hadn't been a rabbi. And so in Boston, in 1924, he became the first rabbi to have his synagogue services broadcast. Oh, wow. Now, I know what a lot of people are thinking. So what, Donna? Well, yeah, in the world of multiculturalism, so what? But in a world where you never met them, Okay, you heard all about them, but you never met them because 
they lived in their neighborhood. And I'm not just talking about Jews. I'm saying Italians, Greeks, mm -hmm. Irish, black, the entire world was like self-segregated. I mean, agreed, parts of the country were segregated, segregated. But the rest of the country was just kind of neighborhoods. And it was possible to go through your whole life and never meet people who were different from you. And the idea of turning on the radio and hearing a rabbi was like, oh. Right. And Rabbi Levy became so popular with non-Jews that they started like attending his services just to get his autograph. <laughs> he became like a radio star in the 1920s and 30s. And he and a priest and a minister, which sounds like a joke, but I'm going somewhere. A rabbi, a priest, and a minister walked into just about everywhere. And they did all kinds of talks all over Massachusetts, teaching tolerance in the 20s and 30s. They were way ahead of their time. So when I heard your last name, I was like, wow, a radio rabbi. Cool. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to have to tell Larry Justice about this. And why, why didn't he tell me about this? Ah, the halls of justice, you know. So <laughs> the halls of justice, they are still playing the greatest hits. And we I, I, we're already off the rails here. The script, Jay. Oh, come on. Throw do it the out promo. the window. Do the we're, promo for Larry. Larry's an old friend. It's there okay. it is. Jay just tossed it out, folks. That's what that was. It is currently in the car. All right, there we go. No, we're on the fly. <laughs> the Halls of Justice, though, have returned, folks, if you're not aware, to the airwaves, 1510 AM WMEX. I, along with Larry Justice, the one and only, still rocking and rolling, wheeling and dealing, laughing and scratching, telling lies, as he likes to say, and he's still got it, folks. So if you have not heard us, 9 AM to 2 PM, Monday through Friday, on the WATD network here which is growing, Donna. Can you believe this? Ed Perry, the old show rock and roll, has now got three, I'm sorry, four stations, if you count the FM translator, now rolling. Is that a, That's Absolutely. something. Uh, if you build it, they will come. That is very true. Uh, we're already coming up on the first quarter break already, but just let, let's talk about your uh, your history with WATD just to get things started real quick. Tell us how long have you known Ed and how did he try to get you wrangled into this? Oh my God, I've known Ed for years. And um, I wrote an article a few years ago about WATD for Radio World Magazine. It's probably available online. Um, at some point, my hope is that I will perhaps be on the air at the station. That would be wonderful. But if not, you know what? I'm just happy to be a guest. It's a lot of fun. I love talking radio. That whole digression about the radio rabbi. I'm a media historian. I love talking about the history of broadcasting. And I'm glad to see it being carried on today at WATD and at WMEX, said Donna, doing the promo. Love it. Thank you very much for that. We didn't even ask for that. That was wonderful. <laughs> we would love to see about getting you on those airwaves, and we'll absolutely have you on as a guest anytime. But we have so many questions to get into. And as we said, Jay just tossed out the script. So we are officially freewheeling here tonight, and uh, we appreciate you being here. Before we head to that break, tell us a little bit about Northeastern, how it all got started for you. I mean, pioneering well, that once path. Upon a pond in a kingdom far away, and then the dinosaurs came. And now, actually, I knew I wanted to be on the radio from the time I was a little girl. And I grew up in the 50s. 
Uh, I'm 73. Most people don't take me for it, but I'm 73. I don't believe you for the record. Just Still young and cute. <laughs> and um, I knew I wanted to be on the radio, but back then, there were no women on the radio unless they were doing cooking shows or unless they were, you know, like doing household hints and nothing wrong with that. But that wasn't me at all. I wanted to play the hits. Absolutely. There weren't any women playing the hits. And that led me to a long and winding road. Hey, good title for a song. I didn't have the Beatles do it. Uh, <laughs> that led me to a long journey that took me all over the United States. I was the first woman in the history of Northeastern University to be on the radio. I was the first woman just about every place else I worked and uh, met some interesting people, had some fun, and now I'm on your show. So, like, what's not to like? Right, what is not to like? And there's so much going on. I mean, like, we don't even know where to start with all these other questions, but that's amazing that you just decided, this is what I'm doing, and I'm going to find a way to get it done. Uh, Absolutely. And all kinds of people told me I'd never do it. And if you've ever heard me interviewed anywhere else, one of the things I like to tell people is when folks say to you, oh, you'll never... The answer is, thank you for your opinion, and then make a plan and just move forward. I was told I'd never get my PhD. I got my PhD when I was 64 years old. Thank you very much. Okay? So, anything's possible. There's a round of applause for you, because anything is possible, Doc. I, I, what would you like me to call you for this one? I want to call you all the titles uh, that you have. Your Majesty is good. The your Majesty. Is good. We're not worthy. Uh, Donna is even better. I'm Donna. You got it, Donna. No problem. Well, you know what, Donna? Why don't we just go ahead and jump right into our first commercial break? And when we come back, we'll get right into it because we have all kinds of stories I'm sure you want to spin with us. And we cannot wait to hear them. So we will be right back on The People's Truth here with Betty Rabbi, your host. And we're here with the legendary Donna Halper. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back in just a moment. Hi everybody, Mike Joshua here, host of Americanorama on WATD. Americanorama features music from Wilco, Nico Case, Sturgill Simpson, Della May, Jason Isbell, Margot Price, Iron and Wine, Lucinda Williams, The Lone Bellow, as well as the twangier side of rock acts like My Morning Jacket, Band of Horses, Neil Young, and Tom Petty, with a dash of classic country as well. Americanorama, Monday through Thursday night at 10 p.m. Only on 95.9 WATD. Welcome back, folks. 95.9 FM WATD. We're off and we're running. We're here to the races, Jay, and they are off and flying, buddy. They are flying so fast. I'm just, I'm all over the place here, Ben. I'm trying to, trying to get everything together. He's just trying to get it all together. Ever since we lost the script, it's just been all uphill from here because we are here with Donna Halper, and she is telling us all about the crazy adventure that she has been on, which is called Life. But hers particularly has just been all over the place in the best possible way. So tell us, Donna. Well, first of all, welcome back. And uh, so what happened after Northeastern? Tell us, how did you end up out in Cleveland? And I'm sorry if I interrupted you a couple of seconds ago. It's a terrible habit. Oh, you're good. Um, (laughs) I just wanted to say one thing about what you should call me, because that was suddenly in the news, not about me, but about uh, Dr. Jill Biden. And I wanted to just say a couple of words about titles. 
Mm -hmm. And it's this, and this is completely non-political. I don't care who people voted for. It's none of my business, but I do care about respect. And coming as I do from broadcasting and journalism, whenever I've interviewed people over the years, rule number one is always to ask them what they want to be called. Mm -hmm. You never assume. And my attitude is if a person worked real hard and got a doctorate degree, and let me tell you, it took me nine years, okay, because I could only go part-time. So, you know, nine years of working hard and a 365-page dissertation, yeah, you betcha you can call me doctor. Yes, um, miss. But only, but only in a professional context. When I'm a professor, when I'm giving public talks, when I write my books, yeah, that's, yeah. for my friends, I'm Donna. I was Donna before. I'm still Donna. But I appreciate your asking. And if the world had a little bit more courtesy in it, we'd be an awful lot better off because, boy, howdy, are there an awful lot of rude people out there today. And as I said, that is nonpartisan. That's not about like, well, do you like Jill Biden? Do you like Melania? I don't care. Ask them what they want to be called and whatever it is, it's none of your business, so just thank you, and there you are. You are so yeah, uh, outside the classroom and outside doing research, I'm Donna. 10-4, loud and clear, and I, I appreciate you pointing that out because that's one of those unspoken things. Un unless you know to know, you don't know to ask. So a, a little bit of sensitivity, like you said, goes a long way and to those kinds of too, things. because for a lot of us that are old school, that really is a big issue. Um, I still remember um, that I interviewed Bill Swartley. I know what you're thinking, who? Uh, Bill Swartley was the general manager of WBZ Radio forever, okay? I mean, he was there like, he died at the age of like 104 and he was sharp as a tack when he died. Um, when I first met him, I met him to do an interview because I was WBZ's historian at the time. Mm -hmm. And who knew the history better than this guy who had been there for like five decades. So I'm, I'm going up to interview him, you know, and I'm very old school, okay? I was raised to respect your elders and stuff like that, you know? And I was like, what, were you, what would you like me to call you, sir? And he was like, oh, you can just call me Bill. Casually. And I was like, my mother is spinning in her grave. No, I can't call you Bill. You're older than me. You're in your 90s. Uh, no, I really can't call you by your first name. My mother would just like, she'd be rising up saying, show him some respect. <laughs> so I called him Mr. Swartley through the interview. He got, he was amused by it. But wouldn't it be nice to have manners make a comeback? I would. See, I Manners mm. are out of style. I really don't. I, I think manners have never gone out of style. There's a lot of people that don't use them, mm. but it would be nice if they did. Forgive the digression. No, no, I, that's a great point, actually, and I'll piggyback off that a little bit. I completely agree. I think what happened was everyone knows these manners. They know what they are. You, you know them no matter who, what, when, why, where you come from. Eventually, you realize these things. It's the choice to honor them or not. And I can't, the, the name of the exact study is uh, slipping my mind real quick, but it's the, the litmus test of, of the, the shopping cart. You, are you going to bring your cart back and put it where it's supposed to be? 
seat or are you just going to leave it wherever it is? No one's enforcing you to do one way or the other, but you know what's right and you know what's wrong. So it's kind of that same thing. It's a choice. And people have that choice not only every day, but every moment. And there's actually another show on WATD on Thursday nights, the Dr. Joe Show and his I Am Approach. And if folks, if you haven't heard Dr. Joe Strand talk about all the things he has to talk about, the I Am Approach is a revolutionary way of talking and thinking about handling emotions. It's absolutely wonderful. But anyway, it's the exact thing that he promotes and it's a choice. Everyone has that choice. So it's interesting that you bring that up. And I'm happy that you did because that's the kind of thing that we like to talk about here on The People's Truth. Our moniker, of course, being bringing communities together and keeping the truth alive. And that is exactly what the truth is, not being forgotten and actively chosen. So well done. Well said. Thank you for that. And this is why you pay me the big bucks. Yeah, just take my money, please. This is wonderful. Jake, give me, the, give me your wallet. Come on. <laughs> no, you, know, you know, a wise woman did once say, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find, find out, out what, what it, it means, means to me. To me. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Thank and you. Then she said, sock it to me about 20 times. So <laughs> who knows? This who is knows? true. The this is also thing I true. ever saw was Richard Nixon being willing to be on Laugh-In and say, sock it to me? <laughs> <laughs> to me? <laughs> find it on YouTube. I'm going to have to now and put that on the old Facebook page. That is amazing. Jay, take note of that, please. We're in the we're in the moment here, and we're just rolling, wheeling, dealing here. So Nixon laughing YouTube. 10-4. On your calendar, Ben. Wonderful. Thank you for that, sir. I love having a co-host. Uh, Donna, this hasn't happened before. This is a first for me. Am I doing this right with the co-host thing? That's why I'm here. Yes. You are rocking the co-host. Yes. Excellent. All right. Easy co-host. Easy co-host. Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right. Back to Donna. Now, that there were co-hosts on a lot of stations but then eventually when top 40 came along it became like the era of the one person station it was usually a man uh, later on you started having the morning zoo which was male female like howard stern robert quivers that kind of thing so usually it was the morning shows that had the co-host so you're just like bringing it all back home Whoa. Hey, good title for an album i'd have bob dylan do it Jay, notes, please. Thank you. It's a good banter. It's a good back and forth. You know, a, a guy by himself or a woman in, by herself in the studio, you just kind of get manic bouncing uh, stuff off uh, yourself. It's nice to have a little back and forth with someone else in the studio. Oh, man. I hope that's And someone else just takes some of the load off, you know? I mean... Well, that's why it's also nice to have callers because, you know, when people call in, I mean, yeah, sure, in some cases they're asking you for a song you just played, but in other <laughs> cases you can have some really good conversations with them. Absolutely. You know, and I can absolutely attest to that. Uh, I was helping produce a show on WMEX last night, a uh, shameless plug, we'll give it to the Bobcats and Baby Boomer Gen X and uh, uh, Boomer Show, and... We had Tina Louise on from uh, Gilligan's Island, and uh, yeah, she was talking about all the other cool things that she's done in her career, and beyond Gilligan's Island even, she's actually a wonderful painter, Uh, she's written books, she's very articulate, and we were talking with her for about an hour last night, and it was just such a wonderful conversation, and I I actually told her we were going to have you on tonight, Donna, and she said, I'll have to be listening. So, Tina, uh, if you're listening, thank you very much. uh, Hi, Tina. There it is. So you asked me how I ended up in Cleveland. And then we started talking like that. A small station, long gone, which some people in the audience may remember fondly, 
WCAS in Cambridge, 740 on the AM dial. Ooh. And uh, it was kind of a folk rock station. And I had a really good collection of vinyl records because that's what they played in those days. And that was enough to get me a job. And um, so, yeah, um, the program director of WMMS in Cleveland was home in Boston visiting his relatives, as I understand it. And he was just tuning around the dial because back then it was dials. And he heard me on WCAS and hired me without ever having met me. Just and I walked away from tenure in the Boston public schools to follow my dream of going into radio because I had been trying for five years to get a full-time radio gig. They still were not hiring women at a lot of stations. That's incredible. And when I had the opportunity to go work in radio full-time, I said goodbye to my family, said goodbye to my friends, and... Away you went. Five years, you're trying as hard as you can to get on the radio. And what it takes is a guy in his car, home for the holidays, visiting some family, tuning on the dial and saying, hey, this is what a voice. You never can tell. You never can tell. That's amazing. <laughs> what a what a, a twist of fate. You know, that's just perfect place, perfect time. And thank goodness he did. Uh, we actually had. That's how a lot of things happen. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of times it's all about planning. And other times. It's just about being in the right place at the right time. And sometimes it's a little bit of both. Absolutely. That's right. You were, our, you were also, I'm sorry, you were also in the right place at the right time because it seems like this uh, rush was just kind of placed in front of your lap as just kind of like a, hey, maybe you should go check these guys out. And you just happened to be the person who the record was yes given no. to to listen to. Yes and no. Yes and no. Ooh, sounds like a story. Um... I hope I'm not being boring with this. But not at as, all. As I've mentioned on a couple of other occasions, the Rush story really wasn't just about being in the right place at the right time. It was about establishing relationships with record promoters, which I had been doing for years uh, in college radio at WCAS and various and sundry other places. Um, I became known as somebody who had good ears. I became known as somebody who could hear hits. And I also became known as somebody who enjoyed being friendly with the record promoters. And that was kind of weird for them because by and large, it was a time in the industry when everybody was doing drugs and everybody expected the record promoters to like bring them stuff. I don't do drugs. I never have. Right. I do remember the 60s. I've never even tried drugs. I've never tasted alcohol. I don't smoke either. I mean, I just that's just me. Personal choice, decided never to do it, and I haven't. I would love to hear so, a side-by-side play-by-play of your memories of the 60s as, a, as compared to someone else from the 60s who was living it, you know, <laughs> hard and fast, and see how many uh, variances no, there are no, in the story. Everybody's <laughs> got to make choices about their life. I made my choice. No, absolutely. I decided if I was going to be the first woman every place I worked, there were probably going to be people that didn't want me there. Mm. And if I made a jerk out of myself, I wanted to remember that I made a jerk out of myself. What a reason like, oh to... Oh my God, I don't remember what I did, you know? <laughs> Just So the reality was I had made a lot of friends with record promoters. And by the way, if you have to go to break, I totally get it. I was on the air for years. <laughs> I, I know how the game is playing. Oh, um, a little inside baseball for some of the listeners. Um, but those the fact is that 
I'd made some friends who were record promoters and they would send me records. And in some cases, I could play them at the station I was at. In other cases, nah, it wasn't for us, but it was nice to listen, okay? So in this case, a Canadian record promoter, and I'd become fairly well known for playing Canadian records, um, he sent me a record. And it was a record that his label wasn't going to sign. And yet he sent it anyway as an act of altruism. He never got anything for it. He never got a bonus. I never got a bonus. He just did it because it was the right thing to do. It was what we call in the trade a mitzvah. And he just he just did it. And I listened and I knew immediately that it was a perfect record for Cleveland. And as I've said on more than one occasion, what I didn't know was that we'd end up being friends for years, the record promoter and the band. I'm still in touch with the record promoter. I saw him as recently as a year ago when I was up in Toronto before the pandemic. And I would have seen him again if we hadn't had the pandemic, but we still keep in touch on social media. His name is Bob Roper one of the nicest people who ever lived. And I'm also in touch with the band and with their families, and I have been for years. But I didn't know any of that when I played the record. I just knew it was a good record for Cleveland. I felt like it would resonate with them. But seriously, it wasn't just being in the right place in the right time. It was a matter of established relationships. Don't take people for granted. Keep in touch with folks. And who knows, maybe you'll be able to help each other. It's a beautiful thing when it turns out you can, in fact, actually help each other. And as you found, that blossoms into even more abilities to help people further. And just look at the whole story. It's just remarkable what's actually happened here. And uh, I want to hear more about this, but you are right. Your, uh, Your internal clock went off perfectly on time you probably just saw the real clock too but you still got it donna still got it we can get you on these airwaves i might have to yield as the co-host ben let miss uh help her take over Ooh, yeah Yeah. well there it is we're gonna have to have you on again (laughs) we're happy to have you we are gonna take our halftime break though thank you so much for joining us donna helper with us she's gonna stick around for another half hour we're gonna take some calls pretty soon too take this number down folks 781-837-4 4900 and when we come back more tales of the tape if you say with Donna Halper here on the People's Truth on 959 FM WATD Welcome back folks People's Truth here 959 FM WATD we are live in studio here. Jake Crombie co-hosting with us alongside the legendary persona herself, Donna Halper, with us here tonight. Donna, thank you again for joining us. Our listeners have been texting in and already on Facebook and emailing in. They're loving this. So absolutely, tales of these tapes here, unbelievable. And we had an interesting one. Now, your time out in Cleveland, I'm not sure if this was the same time frame or not. Correct me if I'm wrong. But do you know anything about an event called Ten Cent Beer Night with the Cleveland Indians? I may very well know about it, but keep in mind, because I don't drink, uh, I tended to pretty much avoid those things. Right. Um, There were a lot of clubs where it was the same deal. And people would get rowdy and this and that. And I mean, I'm a fan. 
when I go to a game, I go to watch the game. Right. And there's something to be said for various and sundry drunken yahoos. And you know, <laughs> I'm not I'm not dissing it. I mean, do what you gotta do. But for myself, I much prefer going to a game just to appreciate the players. And back in those days, the Indians, oy, it was not a lot to appreciate, okay? <laughs> so, um, you know, the uh, the entire scenario, the, the ballpark, you know, the mistake by the lake, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Cleveland itself back then was a factory town. Mm. Republic Steel was the big industry. Sometimes at night, the sky would be orange with pollution. You could smell that old sulfur smell. Mm. And yeah, people loved their teams and still do, by the way. Okay, people still do. And um, I really, really remember how much people loved the Indians. But I also really remember that like the Red Sox, they just didn't win a lot of games when I was there. So, you know, maybe it was me somehow. But on the other hand, I became a Blue Jays fan because of Getty Lee. And, I mean, I was always a Red Sox fan. Come on, I grew up in Boston. You hate the Yankees, you love the Red Sox. It's what you do, okay? Um, But I became a Blue Jays fan because of Getty Lee. And I remember for years... The Jays won nothing. They were an expansion team. I mean, they played at Exhibition Stadium in Toronto, which you want to talk about the mistake by the lake. I mean, the wind gusts were so bad at Exhibition Stadium that catching a fly ball in the outfield, it was an adventure. Okay, You needed a net to catch a fly ball in the outfield. You really did. All right. And I remember going to some of the games at the X, And even though the Jays never won a lot of games back in those days, the fans just were so happy to have a team. And it was very cool in 92 and 93 when the Jays finally won the pennant and won the World Series. And you know what? I was so happy for Getty because Getty had been to just about every game you could possibly go to when he wasn't out on the road. Mm. And when you're a big fan and your team is constantly losing, which is what the Red Sox went through for many years as well. You know all about it. (laughs) It's so gratifying when finally they win something. And, you know, so I, I still remember 1992 and 1993 watching them win the World Series. And like I said, the first thing that came up for me was like, oh my God, I wish I could give Getty a hug because he's got to be thrilled. Since that time, not much to really get excited about. But Mm. the Red Sox, on the other hand, you know, Red Sox have had some really, really great seasons. Uh, Others, not so great. But the generation growing up now they think like, oh, the Red Sox always win. I mean, come oh, on, they yeah. won in 2004, they won in 2007, spoiled. 2013. And I go back to the years where it was like a good year was when they finished fourth. Yeah, not okay. dead last. Did they beat the Yankees <laughs> in the last game of the year? Ted, Ted Williams, that was it. And then later on, you know, the later iteration in 1967 where they almost, you know, oh my God, Karya Stremski. But there wasn't 
a whole lot to be excited about until comparatively recently. So yeah, I'm not only a media historian, I'm also a baseball historian. And when I wrote my book about Boston Radio, oh, good Donna, it. holding it up to the camera, um, when I wrote my book about Boston Radio, um, I made sure that some of the great sportscasters were in it because listening to sports on the radio, we were very fortunate, okay? Whether our teams were good or not, we had some amazing play-by-play announcers we sure to the did. point where there were people that would go to the game, bring their transistor, you know, just like turn up the volume, turn, put on the headphones and like listen to the, you're watching the game, dude. You're at the game, doesn't matter. They wanted to hear these play-by-play announcers. Same thing with TV. They turn down the TV volume, listen to the radio. We had Kurt Gowdy, you know? I mean, Kurt Gowdy and Bob Murphy when I was growing up. Murphy goes on to become play-by-play announcer with the Mets. I just wrote a chapter about him for a book about the Mets. So yeah, there were a lot of really, really, every and every city had them. You had your Vin Scully, okay? You had your Harry Carey. Um, various of the, you know, Mel Allen. There were so many great play-by-play announcers. It's a gift. It's not just describing the pictures on the screen. It's like painting a picture using words. And blind people to this day tell me that like radio is their lifeline. Mm. And if it weren't for radio, they wouldn't have the understanding of sports the way they do, not because they're stupid, but because we've become a visual culture. Mm. And so many people are, oh, I can just watch it on TV. Uh, You know something? There's a part of me that likes to watch sports on TV, but there's also a part of me that really respects and admires the skilled announcers who can describe the game on radio and make me feel like I'm there. Mm. Does that make any sense? It makes so much sense, Donna, and uh, I can actually attest to this a bit because that's what I, I actually do here for WATD, the sports uh, network that we have here. I do the hockey play-by-play. I've done basketball. And uh, one of the biggest honors of my career was being, first of all, asked on behalf of WATD to go to TD Garden to the ninth floor where we went for the MIAA state championships for a couple of years in a row. This year would have actually marked five years in a row, if not for COVID. They uh, got all the way up to the games where they decided who was going and then canceled everything after that. But the greatest moment in my career was getting to go into the booth where Fred Cusick's golden microphone is adorned to the front and they ah. said, this is where you'll be performing tonight. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. My ah. first play-by-play from TD Garden in oh Fred God. Cusick's booth. Wow. And we and see, did- I remember, you know, just even going on a tour at Fenway Park and going into the press box and just imagining what it must have been like. Some of those great baseball writers, some of the great baseball announcers, whether you like baseball or not, it's an art form to be able to make people feel like you're there. Mm. It's another thing I love about radio. It's like a best friend. Absolutely. You know, and we can attest to that every morning. Larry Justice, uh, we take the phone calls every day. And uh, I can personally tell our listeners out there, and Donna, I'll, I'll confirm it for you. 
when we say for our good guy sweatshirt contest, we will take caller number seven, we usually end up taking roughly ten callers before we finally get our winner because there's that see, many here, nobody people. Nobody has ever offered me a good guy sweatshirt. <gasps> I feel so unloved and unappreciated. That will change I right this I moment. Know. I, as executive producer of WMEX, I hereby declare that we shall award a good gal sweatshirt to Donna right here, right now. Larry will back me up on this tomorrow morning on the Halls of Justice. I'll take a picture of me wearing it and put it up on my Facebook page. There it is. We'll put it on the WMEXBoston.com website. And our friends at Expression Prince and Franklin will be more than happy to get that out to us so we can get it right over to you, Donna. But I, my apologies that we have not gotten you a sweatshirt sooner. I am sorry for that. And I know Larry Justice agrees with me I on this. I will never forgive you. Just like, <laughs> see if I ever forgive you. This is an injustice. This that is we'll a see. horrible injustice. Oh, so I see what you been did done today. Injustice. Okay. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> and that's why we got him, folks. Comes up with the big-time talent. That was, that was two-thirds of a pun. <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> I love it. Oh, well, you know what? We're, look at this. The time is just flying by. I can't. I wish we had a longer show specifically for this episode because we're having so much fun. We haven't even covered a fraction of the things we had originally wanted to cover with you, Donna. So let's tell you what. Let's take our last commercial break. We'll get it out of the way when we come back. We'll have our final segment, and we'll take some calls, folks. 781-837-4900. If you have something you want to ask Donna, and it's within good taste, and I don't have to hang up on you if you ask something silly. No, I'm just kidding. Kidding, folks. 781-837-4900. Let's take that last commercial break and we'll be right back on The People's Truth here on 95.9 FM WATD. Do not touch that dial. Welcome back, 95.9 FM, WATD. Benny Rabbi here with you on The People's Truth. Jay Crombie with us co-hosting and Donna Halper here, our guest of honor and notable mention tonight. Donna, thank you for joining us here tonight. And we only have 10 minutes left, so I want to get right back into this. Two things we want to cover. First of all, I want to hear about the broadcast memorabilia you have. I want to hear about the craziest stuff you got in your collection, if you don't mind. And we also want to talk about your collection of obscure baseball facts and uh, your opinion on the addition of the Negro League stats. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled and delighted, seriously. Uh, Should have happened years ago, okay? Mm. I, why it took as long as it took is one of life's mysteries. Um, I've been writing about the Negro Leagues for years. I write for Sabre, the Society of American Baseball Research. Um, I've written a bunch of articles about African-American sports writers and sportscasters. Did you know that the first black baseball sports broadcaster was on the air in 1929? I did not know this. Jocko Maxwell. His real name was Sherman, but if your name was Sherman, you might change it to something else, too. No offense to the Shermans out there. If I wanted but, listeners, I would. Um, no, it just didn't sound like a radio <laughs> name, because back then you had to have radio names. Gotta have it. Uh, he was Jocko Maxwell, and he had a 40-year career. Um, even though baseball was still segregated back then, white players came on his show, black players came on his show. I mean, he interviewed everybody who was anybody. If you Google 
Jocko Maxwell and Donna Halper, my bio, my sketch of him for Sabre should come up. And it is criminal that many of the Negro League's sports writers and sportscasters were never in the Hall of Fame. And they should be. And it's about time. Mm. And, uh, you know, Jocko finally got to visit the Hall of Fame when he was close to 100. But I'd like to see a lot of these sports writers and sportscasters inducted. A couple of them have been, but many have not. Now, that's an interesting question because I didn't recall hearing anything about the sports writers, the sportscasters, or anything like It was just the uh, 3,400-ish players. Now, with this last move here, did, are the writers included or is that still separate? To my knowledge, the writers are not included. That is now, still there familiar. have been a couple of sports writers who were inducted. I believe Sam Lacey is in. Uh, he was, to my knowledge, the first African-American member of the Baseball Writers Association because they too were segregated back in those days. Um, I'm working on a piece about Sam Lacey right now. I think Wendell Smith, who was another early advocate for baseball integration, I believe he's in, but I could be wrong. But there's an awful lot of folks who wrote for the Negro League newspapers that covered this on a regular basis, like Faye Young and Russ Cowens and uh, Willa B. Harmon, who was female. Yes, there were women who covered the Negro Leagues. I've written Willa's story. There's a whole bunch of people who have kind of been written out of history. Time to write them back in and thank them for what they did to preserve this history. Absolutely. Well said, Donna. Thank you for that. Preaching in that choir right now because we are all in agreement on that. They did their part and they should be remembered in the annals of history, rightfully so. And you know, maybe- We had somebody in Boston, a guy by the name of Doc Counts, K-O-U-N-T-Z-E. He was not just a baseball historian. He was one of the first writers about African-American history in greater Boston. The Globe quoted him all the time. I don't think he's in either. And he had like a five-decade career. That's unbelievable. And that yeah. he should absolutely have been included in that. That's wild. Only because we are within our last five minutes of the show here, and I want to make sure well, we... No. I know. It I'll just it gets passes a, when you're having fun. It gets away from you so quick. And you know what? Ed was actually saying to me the day, you sure you don't want to go from eight to nine? I said, Ed... I don't. I think we'll be okay for right now, but let's you know. Let's talk about it. And I said, "Well, now I kind of wish we had done that right off the bat here." Uh, well, I don't want to bore people. Yeah, I hope your you listeners are. found my, you know, found me interesting. We absolutely found you interesting, and I can't wait to actually do more of this. We're going to have you on for an additional uh, off-air podcast at some point in the future and continue the conversation one way or the other. But while we have the few minutes that we still have, the collection of ba- obscure baseball facts. Jay, you had the official title for that. What was that? I, re- I was doing some research on you, Donna, before you came on, and I saw that you did some uh, writing for the Baseball Research Journal. And what I read was oh, absolutely. Yes. you and kind of compiled a lot of lists about obscure, overlooked, neglected aspects of the sports. And I was just wondering if you maybe had one story, m- one of the most bizarre kind of things, because a lot of stuff has happened officially on the baseball diamond, in the actual play of baseball. Mind-blowing stuff that just you wouldn't think would ever happen. I think some of that is really, really interesting, you know? Well, when I started 
started talking about Willoughby Harmon. Um, as it turns out, I gave a talk at Cooperstown. I want to talk about something that was like one of the thrills of my life. I mean, I'm just a working class kid from Dorchester, and there I am, you know, speaking at Cooperstown, me. Um, and that's not a humble brag. That's like, I'm self-taught about this stuff, okay? When it comes to media history, no, I went to school, I did all this other stuff. But the baseball history, I'm just a fan. And I wanted to know more and I didn't want to sound stupid when I was talking sports because a lot of guys didn't expect girls to know anything about sports. So I've been a fan for decades. But like I said, I only knew about pretty much the white sports writers and the, you know, those are the folks that I saw and heard. And I just, as I found out that there were African-American sports writers and sports casters, I wanted to tell their stories. And I gave a talk at Cooperstown in 2017. It became a chapter in a book um, about five women baseball writers, three of whom were African-American. And they've been completely ignored. And the two that were white were completely ignored too. And my commitment, not just because I'm a feminist, but my commitment is to make sure that everyone, male or female, who contributed to us in terms of sports writing and sports casting, let their stories be told. And if nobody has told them, I'll tell them. So I'm working real hard to make sure that those folks are remembered. Amen. And we appreciate your work with that. And I wish we had more time, honestly, but with the, uh, the last couple of minutes we have, uh, tell us real quick, who was one of your favorite broadcasters to work with over time? And, and who was one of your favorite female broadcasters that you helped or, or somehow was just a good mentor? Who comes to mind when you think, man, the thank you list? Who, who's the top three on the thank you list for you? Could I tell you something, honestly? I have been so in awe of so many of the people that I worked with over the years. But the one person who was my cultural hero is someone I never got to work with. And I just held up my book about Boston radio. I've written six books. But on the cover of this one is the late, great Arnie Ginsberg. Woo-woo for you, you. Arnie just left us a few months ago and one of the things i'm the happiest about is that i was finally able to meet him after growing up listening to him he was my cultural hero he was my favorite top 40 dj years later i was able to finally meet him and bow before him and tell him you know what you inspired me to go into broadcasting you didn't know it but there was this lonely kid out in Rosalindale, Massachusetts, that listened to you and never missed you. And it was thanks to you that I decided if you could do it, I was going to do it. And I just wanted to say thank you. And I promised I would put him on the cover of my book if I ever wrote a book about Boston radio. I did. I did. And he lived to see it. That's and I'm very beautiful. glad about that. That is absolutely beautiful. And, uh, Woo-woo uh, just barely missed seeing MEX back on the air. And, well, uh, may he rest in peace, the inspiration to many of us. 
Absolutely. Well said. Donna, where can folks find more information about you? Where can they find your books? Where can they find you? Well, first of all, you can just find me on Uncle Google because there's <laughs> plenty of things about me that I've written and this and that. My website is www.donnahalper.com. Uh, people are welcome to get in touch. But seriously, just Google me. You'll find some of my books, some of my articles, the stuff I've written, blah, blah, blah. Always happy to hear from people. And yes, I do answer my email. And thank you so much for having me on. If people want to email, real easy, DLH, which is my initials, at DonnaHalper.com. D-O-N-N-A-H-A is in applesauce. L-P is in potato. E-R, no N's, no T's. DLH at DonnaHalper.com. Always happy to hear from people. If you love radio as much as I do, you're my kind of person. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Donna Halper, the one and the only legendary figure here in Boston radio and broadcasting history. And you may woo-woo proud. I'll say that, Donna. Thank you so Thanks much for, for joining us. You're very welcome. Jay, thank you for joining us. Jay Crombie, our co-host tonight. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Donna, thank you so much. I wish we had more time. Ed Perry, please give Ben a longer uh, airtime. He needs more. <laughs> Until next week, folks, the People's Truth, 95.9 FM, WATD.